Just a quick warning, when me and Tom get passionate or a bit nervous, we tend to swear more than usual. So just keep that in mind when you're listening to our podcast. So what is honest farming? Have you ever been into a woodland that's been around for a thousand years that no one's touched? Quite a statement from a man who owns a burger restaurant, by the way. Ultimately, this is about us trying to take on our sustainability. That is so unnatural to have one species. Plant a tree. You don't sequester carbon for 15 years. Honest farming is not us planting a load of trees. That was a lie. <laughs> so, in, you know, you look at those two things, it is fucking broken. I'm Phil. I'm Tom. And we're the co-founders of Honest Burgers, and this is the Honest Podcast. Why are we doing a podcast, Tom? We are ripping the plaster off the last 10 or so years of how Honest Burgers started in a muddy field in a tent outside of Brighton and is now a national burger chain with over 45 restaurants and over 900 people that work for us. Oh, we're going to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to episode three of the Honest Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about honest farming uh i'm not going to do a lot of the talking because this is massively your project tom in a way you, you yep. kick this off in the business yeah um so yeah i mean let's just keep it simple like this is honest trying to sort of handle its footprint on the planet and its sustainability um how what's it all about well i think <clears throat> i'm gonna do my best to stay on track because this is the second time we tried to do this podcast because the last one was so all over the place. Um, but it's such a big subject is the point, and it's such a difficult one to really drill down on. But yeah, like you said, ultimately this is about us trying to take on our sustainability. And sustainability for a lot of businesses has become a big buzzword and it's become really monetized and it's become pretty dubious as well, sadly, for a lot. I mean, anything that makes money generally becomes dubious, right, at some point <laughs> in this journey, sadly. Um, and I think for us, we've always, like, genuinely, and obviously we're, we are going to say this, I'm sure lots of other businesses say this, but we do genuinely mean it. We try to be authentic and we try to live up to the word above our door, which is a fucking huge word, and... We always, you know, we love it. We love having that that word um, kind of hanging over us all the time because it keeps us in check. But when you're trying to tackle something as big and powerful and scary and difficult and complex to as which is you know sustainability, I mean, how do you try and do that in an honest way? Is the is the the, the thing I think we've been talking about for years now, like. Yeah, I think when you when you say honest way, you mean like like in a really meaningful like well, like like authentically, like genuinely authentically. So I think before we talk about like honest farming and like how it is, like what do we talk about? What we think is wrong with the um, some of the things that we see, and I'm not going to sort of name names, but you might sort of read a lot about businesses becoming carbon neutral. Yeah, like, do you know what that is? <sighs> Uh, yes, I understand the terminology of carbon neutral. I think where you're where you're where you're going with this is that you know honest farming is not us planting a load of trees. Well, basically, yeah, Which I mean, it could be led to believe from the title. To be to be fair, we're not going to go. Yeah, well, no, no, but this is this is the point around like 
if you look at businesses trying to be better right now, the, the trodden path for businesses trying to be better is we are going to become carbon neutral. That's like the first step for most businesses. Um, and you know, this has been going on for a long time, right? This isn't. I know this has become part of our kind of um, rhetoric. You know, I say, oh, like the, this country's rhetoric for, for probably the last five, maybe seven years. The businesses have been doing this um, for a long, long time. And carbon neutral means you work out how much carbon you produce as a business and then you offset it. Mm-hmm. So that's as simple as it is. So in actual fact, you're not really affecting or changing the way you operate at all. You're just f- looking at your business today, you know, business as usual. How much do we make? How much can we offset by? And you're using programs that are all around the world that, you know, the fact they're all around the world means they're very hard to keep track of. And you're using programs like planting a tree. It's a great example. I'm not saying we don't need to plant more trees, right? The world needs more trees. Mm -hmm. They are the greatest thing that that nature kind of has, has put on this planet. They do so much for ecosystems. They do so much for carbon sequestration. Um, Obviously they keep, they keep human beings alive. So, Tree planting is vital, but to use tree planting as one of the main tools for offsetting businesses is wrong. Because what you're saying to that business is, you just be you, keep doing exactly what you're doing. As long as you plant a load of trees, that's fine. Just keep doing that. And that's not what the world needs. That's literally like an as-you-were sort of mentality. We all, you know, I'm looking at us, at restaurants, at every other businesses, everyone needs to look at themselves and try and adapt and change, um, and specific to their own supply chain, specific to their own inputs as a business, you need to act differently. And the problem I've got with offsetting is a lot of businesses then just go, oh, cool, that's us done. We're carbon neutral now. We can kick that can down the road for another five years and have a look at it. And I'm not saying all businesses, but some businesses, that's the, the impression I get. And, and again, you're looking at all businesses as having a finite resource, whether that's, you know, just people and hours who can put into something like carbon offsetting and also money. Everyone's got an amount. For honest, you know, we have an amount and we need to try and make it as effective and go as hard as go as far as possible. Do we just go, all right, we're going to support a tree planting scheme in Bolivia um, and we're going to offset all of our carbon. That means you can come and eat as much beef as you want from us. That's fine, guys. We're all good. Like we don't think that's the way forward because that's basically us just continuing as we were. So that's the problem I've got with offsetting. And this isn't, you know, I sound like I'm kind of on my soapbox here. It's pretty widely understood now. And in, in this is from people who are far more um, able than me, you know, far more scientifically um, understanding the, 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 the problem ahead. Everyone's looking at it and they're saying the same thing now. Offsetting is not working. It's not the answer. Mm. Plant a tree you don't sequester carbon for 15 years when you plant a tree. And how many trees do you plant today? You know, you're a big, big business, Phil, and you plant a 1,000 trees. How many of those trees are going to be alive and well in 15 years? You've got absolutely no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that land you planted the tree on even still a forest, or has it been redeveloped? Who owns it? How long's the lease? Like, all these questions you answer, you ask, and you're like, yeah, it's too far in the future. And the fact that you as a business, because you just planted 
a thousand trees, you're like, sweet, I'm done now for however yeah. many years. It doesn't sit with, you know, honest, in lots of ways, we've always tried to be a company that's, if we say a quality burger, we we will, and someone said, well, what do you mean? We could go and show you, you know, we could yeah. show you the cuts yeah, of yeah, beef. Yeah, exactly. We could show you our, our butchery, you know, we say great chips and then we could show you how we make the chips, right? So yeah, we always 100%. try to be a business that says, like, we kind of try and say what we do. No, do what we say. How I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, almost a bit like the, the whole Ron Seal kind of thing, you know, does what it says in the tin I kind know, of stuff. I know, man, and that's the point. We, and I think we, that's what's so good about Honest Farming, by the way, for yeah. me, and that it's inspired me when you first started talking about it, is that you you kind of, you were like, no, we're going to deal with the actual the actual thing that is the problem we have, which is we have a hell of a lot of meat. <laughs> well, exactly, right? So if you, this is what I wanted to sort of try and get across in this podcast is, you know, we genuinely were trying to do do the authentic thing when it comes to our sustainability. And this has come from you know, probably five or so years ago where I started to really realise what honest impact can be. And it's it's significant, right? Any big business, you know, any small business, your impact can still be relatively significant. And, you know, you look at a business like ours, we sell a lot of meat, um, you know, and I don't think anyone is disputing the fact that we as a population on this planet need to eat less meat and that doesn't matter what kind of meat, whether it's regeneratively farmed meat or it's intensively reared meat, you just need to eat less. So that, you know, that's just to address that as an elephant in the room. Quite a statement from a man who owns a burger restaurant. By well, it's true, though. <laughs> I'm we, just we saying that to, like, for like, effect, I mean, it's, the, um, it's true, though. But, you know, as soon as we kind of came to terms with that, we're like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's, you know, not in, up for dispute. But what about Honest? And what are the impacts and the inputs that, Honest actually deals with, and this is what kind of started hitting me. And this is, like I said, it's probably about four or five years ago, and I started watching all these de- documentaries on Netflix, and I watched Cowspiracy, and I watched What the Health, and Game Changers, and all these things. And I was like, you know, we as a business, we've always supported a vegan diet, um, and we've always, you know, for a long time, I say always, for yeah, since, saying, yeah, 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 that was a lie. Um, <laughs> since since we came, um, since since Beyond Meat came out, actually, it was one of the first. Vegan burgers where we were like, that can go on our menu. Yeah, we've not been threatened by, well, I think most restaurants will say the same thing. We've not been threatened by the rise of plant meat and burgers. No, no, not at all, man. We've, we've embraced it. Yeah. Business at all, so. um, and it's a, it's a great way for people to eat less meat, right? It's, yeah. it's a good way, for, it's an accessible way. Um, because, yeah, you go from a super juicy medium rare beef burger to a chickpea, a mushroom burger, the two things are just different meals. Whereas, you know, going from that to a Beyond Meat or Impossible or some of these things, it's it's quite a satisfying meal. So we've embraced it. Um, But I was very, very, very sure that if Honest wants to start talking about sustainability, we're not going to talk about plastic straws or paper straws or, you know, um, using biodegradable packaging or biodegradable napkins because in the grand scheme of things, they really are quite insignificant. Um, As a business and your inputs and your outputs, they are very insignificant. Um, so we, when we started to learn a bit more about it, and I kind of slipped into the role of, of you know, being in charge of our sustainability at Honest, it was very obvious that actually our meat is the, the thing we have to focus on. And there's no disputing that. In any big restaurant business or any small restaurant business, your biggest input in terms of carbon is likely going to be your beef. Mm. And or that's, your meat in general, really. And that's amplified for us, right? Because we use two cuts only right now yeah. in our burgers, right? Yeah, and obviously, yeah. you know, there's a hell of a lot more cuts than that in a, in a cow, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. So, you know, you, 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 you don't know what you don't know, right? And as soon as we started learning more about it, we started to 
to unpick what do we do today? And I think it's important for us to say, like, right now, the majority of our restaurants, we buy chuck steak and rib cap from a abattoir in Gloucester um, that, su- that supplies the beef from him and um, for that business gets supplied from around Gloucestershire. Um, and yeah, we buy chuck steak and rib cap. And that's a very small amount of beef from, from one animal, small amount of cuts from one animal. Um, but we're buying grass-fed beef um, and we're buying native breeds. And these are the things that I had heard about and I'd read and I thought this is, I'd looked at other businesses that I'd admired and they were doing the same as that. And I was like, oh, cool. So grass-fed, that's what we need because that means cows are outside um, eating grass and that's natural because that's what cows do. And that's better than a cow being inside eating grain. Mm-hmm. You know, that that makes perfect sense. So I was like, cool, we're doing that. Um and native breeds. Everyone loves the word native. It's a great sounding word, isn't it? Um, you know, let's just face facts. Everything was fucking native at one point in its life. Like we we look at native breeds and species as our insignificant, you know, 80 year lifespan on the pond on the earth. You go back towards native breeds that have been around for, you know, ten thousand years, it starts to get a bit murkier. So that doesn't actually mean anything. Um but what we realized is we didn't really know how to tackle sustainability because we didn't want to just be, you know, part of the problem and just start going, yeah, look at us guys. We've, you know, we've had biodegradable napkins for ages. We're great. For me, honest, cannot say that when we obviously buy a shitload of beef and bacon and chicken without talking about those things. That was the thing. I imagine us putting a post on social media out saying, Hey man, you know paper straws. They're, you know that we've we've done these for ten years now. I if I was commenting, I'd go great. What about yeah. your fucking beef? Yeah, we probably have had comments like that, by the way. Well, I don't know. We've never addressed sustainability, and most burger brands don't touch it for obvious reasons. Most big beef restaurants don't touch it. Some do, and you know they're. I think they're pretty. Um, pretty watered down messages, should I say? But I think if you're gonna attack, you're gonna tackle it you should tackle the biggest elephant in the room, which is beef, right? So mm. that's led us to where we are today, right? Which is Honest Farming. So what is Honest Farming? Tell so us. Honest Farming is about us working direct with farmers, which is a very easy thing to say. Um, and a lot of people say it, but it's actually really fucking difficult. Um, it's about us buying whole animals from farmers which means we can work direct with them because farmers farm animals. They don't farm cuts, right? We can't just go, yeah, man, we want to work with you, but we're only going to buy chucks they can rib cap off you because that farmer's then going to go, well, that's absolutely no use to me. Yeah. So we have to buy the whole animal, um, which throws some other problems um, or other challenges uh, down the way. Um, and we're going to give that farmer feedback and that farmer's going to know where their beef ends up, which again, sounds like a small thing, but most farmers i've spoken to their product their food whatever they grow whether it's broccoli or it's beef or it's lamb they don't have much idea where it ends up very murky in the meat industry because generally the only major customers for farmers to go to who are consistent buyers are abattoirs and abattoirs have hundreds if not thousands of customers Mm. so a farmer just goes to an abattoir They give them their animals, the abattoir does what they do, and then it goes off to a a, a network of customers. So the farmer has no idea. Now, some of them, you know, 
maybe a bit more clarity, but a lot of the time you're missing that link. And that, for me, is a really big problem because farmers are detached from their own food. And this is, this sound, again, sounds like a really small thing, but farmers being detached from food means they don't really know what they're selling, what they're ending up with. They don't end up eating a lot of the things they make. Now, this is, if you grow broccoli, great, you can just go and cut it and, and boil it up and eat it. If you grow cattle, you obviously have a quite a messy specialist process to go through for that cow to turn into a steak. And that's why you've got big bits businesses like abattoirs who have become enormous now. We've lost 95% of our abattoirs um, in the last 50 years. So you've only got really big abattoirs left because they've made it so efficient and economic that they're the only ones who are still standing because they've invested, you know, tens of millions of pounds in these facilities. So you've got these massive businesses that buy the majority of meat all around the country and they kind of monopolized it, let's be, let's be fair. Um, and they distribute to their, you know, their bunch of people. And for me, it's, it's about adding value. I always think to use an example for us. We're very good at, as a business at adding value to food. So we take a potato, we buy it direct from a farmer, and you, know, you could just put that potato in a bag and sell it in a supermarket. You've not added any value to it. We take a potato, we you know, painstakingly go through a lot of processes to turn that into a chip that we then cover in rosemary salt and we sell to a customer. Abattoirs do the same with animals, where they take the animal, they process it all the way down, and they have avenues and outlets for everything. For, you know, chicken feathers get put into makeup. You get um, the collagen in those, they, they go to there. You've got hides going into leather factories. You've got bones going into stock factories. You've got all these different networks that have just been going for years and years. So it's a really hard thing to to break that down and trying to do something different, um, which is why I'm saying working direct with farmers is really difficult because actually what, what happens now, it does kind of work, right? Which is a stupid thing to say, but it, it's not broken in the sense that um, it, it's like an absolute pain in the ass for farmers. They have a consistent supply chain. They sell everything to an abattoir. It's just easy for them, but they're not getting rewarded for the right things and they're not getting paid very well so in you know you look at those two things it is fucking broken um so yeah honest is honest farming is about us trying to work direct with a very select group of farmers um and we're going to incentivize them for things that we think are important now that's something called regenerative agriculture yes yeah, so how's that different to just grass-fed beef you mentioned it earlier because obviously well, if you look at like even the word sustainability, sustainability is basically about keeping the same, right? Keeping keeping the status quo. Regenerative is about trying to continually improve something. And degenerative is what most intensive farming systems are. Mm. So if you look at how we farm, why we farm, it's to try and produce food, right? That's the, the, the main crux of it. Um, and obviously populations are rising, we need more food. So people have been farming... And the, the only motivation really for farming over the last 70 or so years has just been about intensification. It's just been about producing as much as you can because we need more food, because we're all getting bigger and we're all eating more and we're all um, having more babies. So we just need more food. And that's come from World War II. And, you know, seven years after World War II, we were still rationing. Most mm. of Europe was still rationing seven years after World War II. So 
all the governments came together and were like, we need more food, we need more food. And that's what started happening. Um, so farming has been incentivized because of that, right? Now, this stat could be way um, out of date now, but I read a couple of years ago that 40% of the EU's budget goes on farming subsidies. And they're subsidizing farmers to produce more food, more efficiently, quicker. And that's been an absolute car crash for the landscapes of, of Europe and Northern Europe where we've, we've chopped down trees to make fields more efficient, to plough using bigger machinery. We've cut down hedgerows to make fields bigger. Um, you know, and you see all these beautiful, you know, what we would see in air quotes, beautiful landscapes of English countrysides. Yeah, you just Tesco, these, don't you? Oh, oh man, they're just like, and... they're perfect patchwork quilts. That's not fucking nature. That's not, that's not how nature works. You've ever been into a woodland that's been around for a thousand years that no one's touched? very different to a, yeah. a landscaped piece of agricultural land that has just been rinsed with fertilizer and pesticides for the last 50 years is completely different so the difference is for us and you know what regenerative agriculture does compared to standard agriculture is firstly we try and reduce the amount of pesticides and fertilizers do, do you know how they came about by the way it's obviously yeah world war ii you mentioned there's a bomb, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Like bombs right yeah it's basically so um nitrogen that was was produced for bombs in um world war ii which were obviously you know uh, i was gonna say booming market then that's a fucking bad joke but you know a big market um they when the world when the wars ended they had this huge infrastructure and all these factories that were still making um nitrogen and they were like what do we do with this and it was a german scientist came up with the idea that you could actually convert those factories very easily to produce um, a very similar product for the bombs, but you could put it on land to help um, fertilize the land artificially, which tied in perfectly with the fact that everyone was fucking starving and we're all... Well, this, this is what really hit me when I spoke to the <clears> farmers <throat> from, from grassroots and they were like, we've ended that, that trajectory, would, you could argue then, would started after World War II and actually where we've got to now is this intensive farming, supply and demand, like complete disconnection from where the food's actually going. It's just about a numbers game. Yeah. And the fields, you know, represent that, the way they've had to farm the fields. And they're in this place now. And it really hit me when Alistair said to me, he was like, we don't want to farm this way. We just have no choice. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Even, you know, you look at what we discussed around beef and abattoirs, like, they have no choice. I'm sure farmers would love to work with a little indie restaurant where they know exactly where the beef is going and they can go down and try a steak once or twice a month. And they'd love that. But it's really hard to do that. And farmers are busy as hell. And they do not get paid very much, you know, the majority of them. They work incredibly long hours. Is it high, one of the highest suicide rates? In, yeah, it's the, the highest suicide rates in the industry globally. Um, that is, you know, a pretty scary statistic because it's, yeah. it's isolating work and it's, it's you're at the mercy of nature. And I always think as well that, that they're often, you know, leg, family legacies, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. That the pressure. The pressure gonna, of keeping the family. Who's going to be the one to fucking keep going, pass it down to another generation? Like all those things. And you look at these beautiful, you know, farming estates and you think, wow, they must be fucking coining it. And yeah, they're asset rich. Their farm's probably worth, you know, yeah, several yeah. million. Yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah. of farmers are tenants now. But, you know, actually the money they make from it is just dwindling. And supermarkets are just screwing them, you know, because we, as consumers, we want everything cheaper. And I get why, you know, we're in a cost of living crisis at the moment. Um, and we've been in a pretty cost of living crisis for a long time, but it's, it's, it's hard, right? You've got, you've got farmers and, and supermarkets just not working very effectively together. I think that's the thing I'm 
proud of with this is that they just need someone to make a commitment, right? And say, yeah. we'll buy the whole cow, we'll work with you direct, we'll pay exactly. you the right price for it. Yeah. And we'll start a relationship. Exactly. And that that relationship starting, that's where this whole thing unlocked for me is because we started thinking about, you know, we've got this this goal. I remember sitting with you and chatting to you about we want to start tackling sustainability. God bless you. Please. Um, but if you're going to tackle sustainability, how are we going to do it? I laid out the plan and you were like, yeah, that sounds awesome. How do we do it? And that's when I started to kind of not really know the answer. Um, and I met a guy um, at a National Farmers Union conference who you now know, um, James Evans, who is a um, regenerative organic farmer. Um, and yeah, I went to this this speech, at this, uh, this talk at NFU, and it was held for um, Oxbridge students to come along and basically have a debate with some scientists and some ecologists and some farmers around the carbon emissions and carbon sequestration and basically the future of farming in the UK. And it was fascinating. Um, and a lot of the science was, was way too in-depth for me um, to understand. You know, we've got some of the brightest brains of the future, um, you know, firing these arguments over. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I really understood um, and was completely hooked on was was James Evans talking about regenerative agriculture. And he had these slides of photos of his cattle walking through fields and, and the grasslands that they're walking through are like up to their shoulders mm. um, and they're just chomping away on wildflowers and you can see insects literally in the photographs and the biodiversity and the species and biodiversity that's going on there I was looking at that I was like that's fucking incredible yeah, I think this teases up for probably another uh, another episode of this because I think yeah. getting into the kind of you know I think you set the scene really well around what probably the nature of the issue is right now right and yeah. how we want to be and then it, i think you know i think there's loads more now on on how is that how is that going to impact the biodiversity the nature of it. And i remember that you you told me a, you asked me this uh the other week around what's the largest vineyard was it a vineyard or was it yeah 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 we talk about the like, world right talk about biodiversity talk about the opposite of biodiversity yeah, the largest just, vineyard just in the say world that one again. Where, where is a um almond that's it almond. tree plantation in california and there's 140 million almond trees in one farm and you said to me like almost looking at me like like i of, that would i it would be very clear straight away what a big problem was i was like i was like what, what are you getting at and then when you, and you were like well that is so unnatural to have one species of something yeah. in that much space next to each other like that doesn't reflect how nature works no exactly nature you've got to imagine you know, nature if, if humans disappeared tomorrow nature would just reclaim the earth probably take, take about 100 years and then nature would just go boop and that'd be that and there would be probably i mean there would obviously be skyscrapers like that but a lot of what we have created and and destroyed and fucking farmed and harvested and we just go back to nature. Like every single thing that happens in nature happens for a reason. It's fascinating. There's an amazing book called Wilding um, by someone called Isabella Tree about an estate, the Nepa estate in Kent, where they had two and a half thousand acre estate that was intensively farmed, never made any money. And this is a you know big, fancy pants estate, been in the family for generations. Um, and they just, they tried everything. They tried making organic ice cream. They tried farming um, beef, they tried all of the intensive arable stuff, I was always losing money. And eventually they just went, fuck it. We're going to try and get some grants from the EU um, 
and we're going to see if we can just rewild our entire estate and just let it be. And all the local farmers went apeshit because they were like, no, you've got to kill that species of thistle and you've got to kill that ragwort. That could, that could transfer to my farm, my neighbouring farm, and that could kill my horses, that could poison my cows. All these things that neighbouring farmers were like, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to destroy everything. And they had, honestly, they had like hundreds of letters, people, people like up in arms. Um, but it's fascinating to just see their journey and how they just... You know, they held it, held on to it, and they let nature just just do her thing. And, and they made the species that came back to those lands that have never been seen prior, the butterflies that came in, the insects that came in, the birds that came in, and they had they had you know really scary moments. So with this one thing, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, but there was a weed that came up that is actually very toxic and quite dangerous to livestock. That Japanese one. No, no, not, that's that's no. like buildings and stuff. Japanese not weird. Now this was this was a, I think it was a species of thistle, um, and it just came up and just just populated this part of their field. It just went everywhere, and they were like, "God, what do we do? Like, we're going to have to intervene." And the whole point around their estate is they didn't want human in- intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, the only intervention I think they were going to do is if an animal died, they were going to um, basically move it because you can't get lots of diseases come if an animal's just left to rot. Um, and they waited and they waited and they got really close to intervening. And then this species of butterfly came in, right? This huge swarm. And they'd waited for about a year or so. This huge swarm of butterflies came in. I swear it was from like fucking Morocco or something. And it comes in, like, fuck knows how they know that there's this huge amount of food just waiting for them. Comes in, eats it all, and then buggers off. And it's like... Nature is so linked and it's mm. so like it just works if it's left to its own devices. And that simplicity, and I'll, I'm, I'll be the simple one here because you, you've got the breadth of knowledge in this that I don't have. So like, regenerative versus degenerative, right? Yeah. With nature versus against nature. And yeah. if I was being simplistic, what I think what honest farming represents is actually let's work with nature yeah and that's you know let nature do what it does best but one of the important things is you know rewilding is great and a lot of our farms do leave sections of of their fields to just go to you know leave them dormant basically and just let nature take over but obviously rewilding doesn't produce food is the is the one problem so yeah a lot of people i speak to about this they're like why don't we just rewild you know the whole the whole country why don't we do that and it's like i mean parts of it we should do and there's huge things in scotland that are being done around rewilding but we still need to produce food and we need to produce food that has good calories and good density in it. And sadly, a lot of our food is empty at the moment. And that, that was an amazing podcast that Andy Cato has done. Um, it's Fern Cotton's podcast with Andy Cato, who is the one of the founders at Wild Farms, who do um, regenerative agriculture for arable, so for things like wheats and grains. And yeah, he talks about food being empty now. And that's true. Like you, you, you eat a tomato from the 1920s, you have to eat something like eight tomatoes today to have the same no amount of nutrients and vitamins. Really? Hey, because this is the problem with, with, with fertilizers. You're only putting in one thing, which does help things grow. And this is why when farmers were given the option to try f- using fertilizers in the 60s, they were like, fucking hell, my yields. Yields are like, bam, and everything's just like, whoop, and they used to have to work with nature. They used to have to rest land. They used to have to do some legumes. They used to have to do some cattle grazing to put some organic um, fertility back into soils. And that organic fertility is the cow shit. That is the best thing for soils, is cows eating what's growing, which keeps things growing, and then shitting it out the other end, and that going back into the soil, 
with dung beetles and worms to do that. And that then promotes the, the growth of the next harvest of whatever it's growing. So that is what, you know, in a nutshell, what regenerative agriculture is. And you compare, the, you know, the complexity of that to, oh, no, just spray this chemical on it and it will just grow like magic. Like, obviously, farmers are like, cool, let's do it. But what they didn't realise is you keep doing that, you're just putting one thing in and soils are just slowly getting depleted. And there's some scary stats, and there's lots of people say this is bollocks, but there's the stats about America only having 60 harvests left, which is basically 60 years. And if we farm the same way until their soils are so depleted that they basically will become desertified? They'll become deserts. There it is. There it is. There's always one word I fuck up. Tom's word of the podcast. Um, But it is basically desertification. That is a real word. Um, And that is when you've got, you you know, it's a great um, show on Netflix called um, Kiss the Ground, where they've got a regenerative farm that neighbours an arable farm and you literally see the border of the two farms. And it's like, I mean, it's, it looks ridiculous. One is thriving. It's luscious. It's green. It's full of insects. It's full of different species. One is a wasteland, like a barren, fucking empty, desertified soil that's just blowing in the wind. And that topsoil is the thing which is absolutely important to us. That's how we grow. That's all our root structure is That's in that eroding, right? 30 That's centre of topsoil. And yeah, if it gets eroded, the, the wind just blows it away and it's gone. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. But with all this sort of scaremongering, there's also a ton of opportunities. And, you know, for us, meeting James, um, seeing how he farms... Um, they've now set up a business called Grassroots Farming, um, which you've got on their website. It's called grassrootsfarming.co. Um, there's now James, James and Alistair, the three founding farmers. They are, you know, they're, they're absolutely brilliant human beings and they have taught me everything I know about farming. And they're practicing farmers. They know this. This isn't, you know, a restaurant trying to go to the countryside and say, this is how you need to farm, guys, because they I, I should rightfully be told to fuck off. Like, I don't know how to actually farm this way. Mm. James, James and Alistair do, and they've done it for years, and they've shown it works. They are onboarding farmers for us, um, and they're basically walking them through the process. They're setting up the agricultural plan for them, um, and they're making sure they get accredited um, as a regenerative farm through a third party. So... All these things are kind of tying together really ni- nice and neatly now. Um, and now we've got, you know, the launch of Honest Farming is literally next week, well, 23rd. I think, maybe, I, I think this definitely didn't, probably requires another another episode. Yeah. I want to hear, obviously, you know, talk about the launch. Um, but, you know, things like mob grazing. Man, I want to yeah. hear more about mob grazing. We do, I know. And we should, we should definitely look at another one. We want to get the farmers on as well, right? Because they can very eloquently talk about about how yeah. how is this farming system different to just cows in fields you know in- well exactly i think just like i think we've set the scene perfectly there i have to say like i think it's really i find this stuff really interesting i hope, I hope other people do as well like just kind of where we're at with farming and why it's potentially an issue and yeah. actually what we could and should try and do about it and i think now i think the next next one is to talk about what does yeah. that actually going mean to be more detail. how are we going to get cows from these farms and how is that going to make? Yeah, I think what we want to do today, and apologies if we've we've kind of ducked around a bit, but we want to just set the scene. Why is Honest proudly not carbon neutral? Uh, I think hopefully I've just displayed that. Um, you know, we want to tackle our emissions head on. 
um, and we want to change the way we operate. That's the big take home for me on this one. We want to change how we operate because what we're doing now isn't good enough. And that's the same with a lot of big businesses. What they're doing now is not enough. So change, um, honest farming is, is, like we said, working direct. And we want to give our customers the option, right? We want to just show them that there is another way. Um, and we want, that, want them to make the decision. We're not going to force us down them. We're not going to we're not going to get preachy. We're not going to say this is going to, you know, save the planet. Like this is genuinely us trying to tackle sustainability honestly and give our customers the option to have a look at it. Hopefully they'll enjoy it. Hopefully they'll find it interesting. But you've got to commit. You can't, if you want to just re- reduce sustainability to one word or one action, it's not going to work. You have to commit to something. Um and for us, you know, we just need a little bit of their attention to just focus in on this. Um, and you'll see this in all the restaurants. Hopefully all our people will understand it. And it's been a bit, been a pretty uh, difficult project to get across, right? Because yeah. even in a 45-minute podcast, we fucking bounced around all over the place. So, yeah, we'll give them some, give them some ideas, give them a bit of understanding. And then hopefully from there, they will um, we'll take it on their own to give it a try. Cool. All right. Thanks for that, guys. Yeah, and uh, tune in next time. We'll be talking in much more detail about the specifics of regenerative agriculture. Um, and we're going to get our farmers on this podcast um, very soon and some of the partners who we work with as well. So thanks again. And uh, yes, catch up later. Cheers. any questions or you want to get in touch please drop us a message the email is podcast at honestburgers.co.uk and then as always give us a follow on tiktok and instagram at honestburgers we really hope you've enjoyed listening and thank you for tuning in